Hello, Village. You're listening to Heal, Grow, Thrive, the podcast hosted by Forward Promise. If you don't know us, we're social change advocates focused on reclaiming the humanity of boys and young men of color and supporting the villages that nurture them. In our podcast, we'll talk with direct service practitioners, young people, researchers, and leaders in philanthropy, offering a deeper understanding of both the issues facing boys and young men of color and quality solutions for their healing, growing, and thriving. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to an important episode in our series, highlighting the voices of our grantees, fellows, and other stakeholders, and how they are pivoting their work in the face of this COVID-19 outbreak. We work with some phenomenal people who are fully committed to ensuring that boys and young men of color and their villages successfully emerge on the other side of this. This pandemic is exposing the disproportionate struggle faced by communities of color that is and always has been rooted in a history of dehumanization, racism, and colonization. These factors make boys and young men of color and their villages more vulnerable to illness, violence, and financial ruin. So we're dedicating these first episodes to sharing the issues and the solutions they've developed. We invite you to be thinking about, sharing, and doing what you can to ensure that boys and young men of color heal, grow, and thrive, both during this crisis and beyond. Hello, and thank you for being here. I'm Dr. Howard Stevenson, co-director for Forward Promise, a national program of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Along with much of the world, the Forward Promise Village of Grantees, Fellows, and National Advisory Committee members have been heavily tasked and focused with responding to the ongoing crisis of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our most vulnerable communities and populations have been hit hard by this crisis, and we wanted to, one, talk to those who directly serve them, particularly about how their work is being impacted, and to understand their greatest challenges and highest hopes in the midst of all of this crisis. Joining me today is our friend, Dr. Angela Diaz. Dr. Diaz is the director of the Mount Sinai Adolescent Health Center, a unique program that provides comprehensive, interdisciplinary, integrated medical care, sexual and reproductive health, mental health, dental and optical services to young people. Under her leadership, the center has become one of the largest adolescent specific health centers in the United States, serving more than 13,000 young people every year. And she does this for free. She's also a member of our National Advisory Committee. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Diaz. Thank you, Howard. I have to say, of uh, all the time that we have spent together, I have appreciated your advice and your your wisdom on how uh, we as an organization should be serving young people of color, families of color, and communities of color. And with all of that, I have always wanted to even know more about what you do day to day. You're an advisor to us, but I'm so impressed with the number of services that you provide for young people today in a way that seems very comprehensive. Um, Thinking about that, when you consider what's happened regarding COVID-19, what impact has it had on the community and population that you all serve? Yes, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has actually affected young people quite a bit. If you think about it, you know, with school closed, no after-school programming, no sports, 
young people really lost the structure that they have in their everyday life. So I feel that they really need um, a place where they can go to get those services that they need. And unfortunately, many of those services in New York City for youth are not open for in-person services. And even though the New York State Department of Health had designated sex and reproductive health as an essential service, there's really very few places that they can get those in-person services. So that's why we decided to remain open to them from Monday through Saturdays. And we also have physicians on call every night and Sunday so that young people have access to us 24 seven. Wonderful. And so how, how have you, in some respect, had to shift the way you do the work that you do, either with operating internally with staff or the families? And it sounds like you've, you've already adjusted your availability. Um, what other things have you had to shift? We actually shift quite a bit. You know, we need to remember that our main priority is to keep young people safe and the staff safe. So what we did was that we um, sent a blast communication to young people through my chart, which is the patient portal of our electronic medical record. And we basically said to them, if you can stay home, stay home, stay safe. But if you need services that you feel cannot wait, then we are here for you Monday through Saturdays, not 24 seven. So if you need to come, come in. Some of the other changes that we did was that we actually divided our staff, our medical staff into three teams, A, B, and C. And so because we want to have the um, clinics well staffed, but we need people to be able to keep social distancing. So one of the team is always here. So we always have staff. So let's say if team A is here providing in-person services, then team B and C are working from home. So that's how we um, are doing it. We also decided that in addition to the medical staff, we needed <clears throat> health educators and mental health staff because some young people that come may have those needs. So we always also have that. Something else that we did was that we set most of the mental health staff to be able to work from home. Uh, you know, the social workers, psychologists, the child and adults and psychiatrists. So we got them iPads and iPhones so that they can provide ongoing psychotherapy from home. And uh, that's working um, very well. And even the legal services are being provided through telelegal. So hmm. between in-person, telehealth, telelegal, we actually, within the first month, had over um, 2,000 visits that young people made. Oh man, that's fantastic. And, and thinking about how the world is concerned and our country's concerned around health workers and frontline workers, have you noticed and um, how have you managed your own health workers having to navigate this since you are providing so many services? Yeah, no, it has been interesting. And we, it also had made us be very thoughtful and very flexible because mm -hmm. our staff is very committed to the young people. You know, some people were apprehensive, that is understandable. But they come, you know, they are following whatever the plan is. But some of the staff have little children at home. 
And as you know, there is no school, there is no daycare. So they have to stay home to take care of their children. Other mm -hmm. staff actually have gotten sick from, from uh, COVID-19 or have to stay home taking care of relatives who are sick. So because of that, as I said, we need to be very flexible with, with our staffing pattern. And sometimes maybe call a person who's in a different team they may be on team B, but you know, we are short in team A, so that person comes in and vice versa. And everyone has been extremely cooperative, but we are making it work. Mm, fantastic. And if you were to say, you mentioned several challenges, which would be the most challenging that you've, you've had to face, or maybe something you haven't mentioned so far? The main challenge that we are going to have is financial, because mm. we have 125 staff. And we have continued to pay every single person their regular salary. But as we know, you know, the volume will be lower, you know, the revenue and gifts that usually come in, they're not going to be all there. So that's something that we are preparing for. In addition to that, we actually needed to um, get the iPads and buy iPhones for many staff. We needed to buy personal protective equipment so that the staff stay safe when they're working with their kids because the youth are coming, some of them with um, symptoms of COVID-19. We had to buy a whole bunch of supplies in larger quantities from additional gloves to sanitizer to all type of things, masks. And we all wear masks here in the clinic, but sometimes the youth come without masks. So we want to have enough to be able to give to them because they're supposed to wear those in the streets also. And we had to have to clean the clinic, like deep cleaning, to make sure the space is as healthy as possible. So we're having a whole bunch of additional expenditures when we know that even the basic um, philanthropy or grants or, or, or just from the, the revenues uh, from seeing patients are going to be um, lower. So we are really, that's one of the major challenges that we are trying to uh, think through and prepare for. Thank you. Um, when you think about the the kinds of lessons we've learned, and some of these we've known for decades, but this crisis has illuminated structural and systemic effects of both racism and colonization on communities of color. And since Forward Promise is so, that is our mission to understand what are the sort of cultural realities for boys and young men of color and their communities. What have you noticed in this regard from where you're working? No, I agree with you, Howard, that this uh, pandemic has really shown a bright light on the inequities that we had, you know, associated with racism and colonialism in the U.S. These are things that people like you and I that are doing the work day in and day out and many of the grantees, we know that because that's what we see every day. But it, it sort of had elevated the importance and it's so visible that it's really hard for people to look the other way. And in terms of our population, they, it really affects them because 90% of our youth are youth of color. Many mm -hmm. of them or their families get paid really low wages for their work. Many of them are immigrants and 70% of our youth do not have insurance, not even Medicaid. And uh, you know these are the families that have been disproportionately affected by the virus because they cannot afford to stay home. If they don't work, they don't eat, they cannot pay rent. 
these are the families with no health insurance or access to ongoing health care. So when people say, when you get symptoms, call your providers, there's no providers for them to mm -hmm. call. These are the families with a chronic condition, such as asthma, obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, that put them at higher risk for the complication of COVID-19. These are the families living in very small spaces often sharing rooms or bathroom, or sometimes multiple families in one apartment. So how can they keep social distance? And those that work, often working in work environment where they are very close to each other. And you know, often sometimes they're not getting the protective equipment that they need. So they, even the work environment are putting them at risk. And these are the same families <laughs> are more likely to lose their jobs if their employers need to close or need to reduce um, the staff that they have. And unfortunately, these are also the families that may not benefit from the infusion of money that the federal government is putting into the economy because either they are not eligible or they are not aware or they don't know how to go through the process to really make sure that they benefit from those um, benefit from those incomes and dollars that are available. Yeah, so compounding disadvantage is, is adds for more deficits in treatment and care and uh, health. Yes, um, and youth <clears throat> have layers of inequities. It's really, um, you know, it's not one thing. You know, we also see a lot of young people who are gay, lesbian, we have over 600 transgender youth. So they also face more racism and, and prejudice. And, and, you know, if they are black or people of color, racism. So it's layers or layers or ism that they have to face. And when you have those compounded um, inequities, it's much worse. Dr. Diaz, given that, what would you say would be some, if any, opportunities, given what we're seeing, to change some of these kinds of outcomes for the future? Well, I think we should take advantage that at least there seems to be a larger or a broader awareness of the inequities and work on in policies you know, that are necessary for right now, but also with a view of achieving policies that are going to rectify um, the problems that we have that are systemic. And what I mean by that, for example, it will mm -hmm. be great for people to be paid livable wages for the minimum wage to be increased for people that work so hard to make enough money to have a decent life. It would be great for people to have paid family and medical leave, to get paid sick leaves, to really be able to avail themselves of high quality, affordable child care. For the pre-K to 12th grade education, to give young people the skills and the mastery to be able to be successful. You know, it will be important also to remove the five-year wait period that documented immigrants have to wait in the U.S. to be able to get benefits that they are mm -hmm. entitled to. Um, it will be also important to enable families to get nutrition help more easily through the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Programs as SNAP and to get Medicaid more easily to be able to be connected to healthcare, and then for the entire population to have health insurance, including Medicaid, and mm -hmm. access, true access and connection to the healthcare system. Wonderful. Given all that you've gone through so far, and we're still in the middle of this crisis, have you learned, what have you learned, I guess I would say, about yourself or your organization or the communities you serve 
that you haven't already mentioned? You know, I, I have always known this, but I think the pandemic has reinforced this. And it mm -hmm. is that young people are resilient, resourceful, and innovative. They're really hardworking. And so that has just been put right out there. Also that our communities are responding in a way that every person wants to help their neighbor. Everyone is helping somebody else. Really that altruism has comes out of New Yorkers that are helping one another, including the young people. Also, I think that innovation has been accelerated uh, because people are trying to figure out how to cure this, how to prevent it, how to even touching it. The other day I saw an innovation about how to open the door with a little handle so that you don't have to touch it. So I mm. think innovation, especially in sciences, people are working day and night to create um, treatment, to create antibodies, to really understand even why certain groups are affected by the, by the uh, coronavirus disproportionately. So there's an immense amount of work going there. And the other thing that I learned is that together, we are all much better off than alone, even though you know you, you have to keep your social distance, but you need mm -hmm. to connect, whether it's a spiritually, emotionally, mm -hmm. you really need to feel connected and to know that all of us together can resolve this issue and we will eventually, you know, we will conquer it. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying there regarding cultural and spiritual resources, because many of our grantees use this as part of their programming. And, yeah. and I guess in particular, when we're focusing on boys and young men of color, do you see any particular issues for them uh, for what's needed, not only now, but post COVID-19, uh, given your work? Yes, I, you know, we see a lot of males, a lot of boys. Um, and I I'm already started thinking that after, as this thing go on and once, you know, the social distancing is lifted, that we are going to have to expand our services. And so will many other people because these young men are going to be are being impacted by the COVID-19 and they are going to have more mental health needs, you know, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, grief. They are going to be dealing with a sense of loss if they lost a relative or an important adult in their lives. Um, they are dealing with a lot of things. Many of them that were working lost their jobs or their family lost their, their jobs. So, you know, th that bring more chaos and more need. Some of them are uncertain of their education. If they were in school with what is happening, it doesn't seem clear what the next um, course of action is going to be or what jobs are going to be available to them. So all those things are, are really important. And I think that also may need more legal services or more um, advice on how to maneuver uh, some of these uh, resources that have been put in place. So I'm preparing really to be able to expand um, the program. And I, I, I may need to even add different um, services or more services to the youth. This is in, in the context of the um, revenues being lower. So, you know, I'm working really hard in fundraising. I'm like mm -hmm. a little machine writing grants and doing all type of things to make sure yeah. that as I deal with the crisis right now, that we are preparing for the post COVID-19, you know, avalanche of needs that young people are going to, to, to need and their emotional and spiritual and cultural, um, you know, to be center 
uh, than sales. Yeah. Well, I'm just so impressed. Thank you so much. You're doing all this work. You must be tired, tired, tired every day, just trying to navigate all of this. And I'm, I'm praying for you and your work. Um, and thank you for taking care of the brothers and sisters that serve folks on the front line. And uh, thank you for being here with us and sharing your wisdom and knowledge. Uh, I'm always blessed whenever I spend time with you. Thank you, Dr. Diaz. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity. And we just love young people. And we feel that with a little bit of support, they really can achieve their potential and who they are. Fantastic. Thank okay. you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Heal, Grow, Thrive, the podcast. We hope these conversations prompt a deeper commitment to action in the field and in philanthropy to create a society that is fair and equitable for all. For more information about Forward Promise, visit forwardpromise.org or follow us on social media. We're simply Forward Promise on Facebook and at forward underscore promise on Twitter and Instagram.